0: W Media. Spy Talk, a podcast at the intersection of intelligence, foreign policy, national security, and military operations with Jeff Stein and Gene Maserve. Welcome to Spy Talk. I'm Gene Maserve. Jeff Stein is off on medical leave. The southern border is a hotbed of illegal activity. People and drugs are smuggled northward. Weapons travel in the opposite direction, all facilitated by Transnational Criminal Organizations, or TCOs. The problems are not getting better. They are getting worse. Good intelligence might help, but Alan Burson says there are a lot of barriers to collecting good information and using it in the most meaningful way. Burson was the Department of Homeland Security's Assistant Secretary for International Affairs and Chief Diplomatic Officer. He also served as Head of Customs and Border Protection.
1: Because we've been so preoccupied through the so-called, and I, in my opinion, failed war on drugs, and in the aftermath of 9-11 and the concern about border security, there's actually a tremendous amount of information that's generated about Mexico narcotics trafficking. The problem is is not so much the volume of information, it's how it's used and whether it's coordinated.
0: And is it used effectively? Is it coordinated effectively?
1: So with regard to the uh, use of it, it depends on the strategy, the overarching strategic uh, strategy with regard to uh, drug cartels and uh, TCOs. We actually... Uh, have accomplished a great deal according to the strategy that was set, the so-called kingpin strategy. Explain what that is, if you would. The kingpin strategy was a uh, determination here in the United States and in concert with Mexico that uh, in the aftermath of uh, President Calderon's uh, declaration of war on Mexican cartels, that the uh, most effective way of dealing with Cartels would be to focus on their leadership and to uh, systematically take that leadership and bring it subject to uh, criminal justice processes, primarily here in the United States, which led to a significant number of uh, extraditions, uh, particularly during the Obama administration. The uh, difficulty is that the kingpin strategy, while the proponents of it would never uh, concede that uh, it was intended to stop there, uh, actually did not go further to the dismantling of these organizations. So that the intelligence was geared to getting uh, Mexican enforcement, largely the Mexican Navy or SeMAR, into a position where they could again, capture Chapo Guzman. But it went far beyond uh, Guzman uh, and affected uh, many, many of the organizations in uh, in Mexico. So what we in effect then saw was the splintering uh, of the organizations and the development of uh, new leadership. Uh, while in fact, several hundred so so-called kingpins were actually uh, taken uh, and decapitated as the uh, strategy uh, desired. But what never happened, Gene, was the transition over to dismantling the organizations. So in, in effect, when we took a kingpin out, because the organization and the lucrative business proposition of bringing drugs into the United States uh, was never interrupted, uh, inevitably, and invariably, new leadership emerged to take over the uh, handling uh, and the, the production and the transportation of drugs to the United States.
0: So are the bad guys winning?
1: Overall, I think, as I said, that uh, the war on drugs, framed as it has been in this country for the last 50 years, uh, has not succeeded. Uh, what uh, more tragic and better evidence that 100,000 Americans died from fentanyl overdoses in uh, in the last year, uh, 300 times the number of casualties, tragic as they were, that we suffered on
0: 9/11. And have they evolved over the past five or 10 years?
1: No question that uh, the cartels have uh, become more effective, and in, in, indeed, in some uh, real sense, stronger given the insatiable appetite for drugs and the demand for drugs that exists in the United States and now increasingly in Mexico itself, and as well as in Europe uh, and in Oceania and New Zealand and, uh, and Australia. So yes, uh, TCOs uh, uh, continue being arguably uh, the, uh, the most uh, lucrative uh, transnational criminal pursuits, with the possible exception of Russian oligarchs in the aftermath of the Soviet Union and the taking over of Soviet businesses. But over the last 50 years, we've seen uh, massive uh, uh, amounts of uh, funds and and dollars actually going from uh, American consumers into the pockets of uh, transnational organized crime.
0: Are they using technology to their advantage?
1: Increasingly. When uh, I was... uh, commissioner of customs and border protection this is 10 years ago we had already seen a increase in the use of very sophisticated uh, technical uh, means both of surveillance and of communication utilized by tcos and that's only increased in the uh, in the last decade they are on the top of uh, of the game uh, technically speaking because of the amount of uh, the resources that are available to them. They're able to recruit very uh, sophisticated technicians uh, who are able to purchase the uh, latest state-of-the-art technical equipment.
0: What kind of threat, besides a health threat, do these organizations pose to the United States?
1: Transnational crime uh, accounts in, in the estimation of the National Security Council for perhaps 10% of the global uh, domestic uh, or or production uh, product uh, uh, of the world. Uh, The power that accrues to that kind of command over resources is is enormous, Gene. So that the presence uh, in American life and in American society of these uh, organizations operating both with regard to uh, narcotics uh, but also with regard to uh, uh, migration uh, and, and the, the movement of people uh, makes them a, a, a tremendous threat when you begin to look at the resources that through money laundering uh, are then uh, brought back into the United States and invested in businesses that uh, the, the, the scope of which we have a, a very, very little uh, visibility on.
0: Is our intelligence hampered by the fact that so many different agencies in the United States have a piece of that pie?
1: Yeah. So there there are two issues, and this goes back to the coordination point. Uh, First, the use of the information by law enforcement is typically uh, confined to the prosecution of the arrest, prosecution and conviction of uh, of criminals, uh, kingpins and others involved in the uh, in the drug trade. Uh, When you use information solely for criminal justice processes, what gets built into that is grand jury secrecy, uh, bureaucratic uh, and turf. protection by different agencies, which then relates, of course, to the way in which budgets are generated for these agencies through our congressional appropriations and the kinds of metrics that are looked at. So you see agencies competing for resources uh, and uh, doing so on the basis of uh, largely arrest, prosecution, and conviction statistics, rather than metrics that would go to the disruption of the transnational organized crime and drug uh, trade uh, so that you 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 see this uh, lack of information sharing that is a key problem in the uh, in the handling of uh, of this information about border crime uh, agencies don't tend to share it you know after 9/11 we actually cracked the uh, the problem with regard to terrorism, that is to say the circumstances of 9-11, where in the aftermath it became clear that the failure of the Central Intelligence Agency and the FBI to share information, which had it been shared, would have identified uh, the the hijackers as they came into the country and worked here. Uh, That then led to a coordination and cooperation with regard to counterterrorism, that never was then brought over into transnational crime generally, uh, particularly in the narcotics uh, arena.
0: And I presume that you think it should be.
1: There's no question that uh, the old dichotomy between national security, homeland security, uh, is not the bright line that it was when our current intelligence uh, structure was an infrastructure was built uh, in 1947 in the aftermath of uh, World War II. Uh, We have a structure, a division between national security and law enforcement uh, that uh, still plagues outside the counter-terror arena, uh, the sharing of information between uh, and among agencies.
0: That would require changing laws, correct?
1: Yes. I think uh, most observers would agree that uh, the 1947 infrastructure uh, served us quite well during the Cold War, certainly, and uh, for years afterwards. But at this point, these bright lines that attach to intelligence gathering, uh, U.S. persons versus non-U.S. persons, uh, domestic versus foreign, Uh, Those dichotomies are built into the DNA of our intelligence infrastructure, and they are arguably uh, anachronistic. That doesn't mean that the concerns that generated them in the first place should be ignored, but it seems to me we have to develop an approach that takes those vulnerabilities into account and those civil liberties into account in a way that renders the overall intelligence enterprise a lot more effective.
0: Does it also require creating a new entity to effectively share the information? So
1: the history uh, since 1947 has been replete with coordinating councils, coordinating mechanisms, interagency coordinating and and cooperation councils. I'm not a big believer that this is about moving the deck chairs of, of bureaucratic agencies. I think it was probably necessary after 9-11. But at this juncture, what we need are, is presidential leadership from the White House that, uh, together with a new legislative framework, I agree that probably is required, that would, would uh, institutionalize data sharing and information uh, coordination.
0: What about the international piece of this? Is there sufficient cooperation amongst the nations involved? Depending.
1: So within the so-called Five-I nations, the UK, Canada, uh, New Zealand, Australia, and the United States, there's considerable information sharing, particularly at the national uh, security level, the traditional nation-state focus of, uh, of geopolitics. Uh, law enforcement within the five eyes has gotten a lot better, I think, uh, in my experience in sharing uh, law enforcement information. Uh, but it's outside that uh, that group, the uh, information sharing takes place, but not in any uh, regular or or, uh, or or direct way. Uh, is ret- that
0: because, in part, we can't trust some of the other nations involved? I mean, corruption is rampant in Mexico, for instance.
1: There's no question about that. That doesn't mean that there aren't, aside from the five I's, uh, national security and even law enforcement relationships where there is information sharing with Japan, with, with, uh, with the EU, uh, but it's not as in-depth in, in or institutionalized as it is. Uh, within the Five Eyes, and you know, traditionally our relationship with the UK and and the, and, and Canada has even been, uh, you know, more uh, effective than uh, with other of the Five Eye nations. But the the point is that uh, lack of trust uh, is the uh, is the uh, is the problem and the and the element that prevents uh, information sharing uh, on a routine basis. Mexico is a good example gene uh, we have had uh, up until the recent years a considerable uh, cooperation at the national security and law enforcement levels with uh, with the Mexican government but there is always a limitation on what would and could be shared uh, because of the uh, corruption issue and this is a it's a two-way corruption problem it's trusting the partners with whom you're sharing information and also uh, being concerned about the corruption of your own officials and, and officers uh, from the agencies involved.
0: Let me ask you the institutional question again, do we need a new global entity of some kind to police these crime syndicates? So
1: multilateral, You know, we're in a, we're in a time in the world where the, we're seeing the world order splinter and we've also come to realize the multilateral uh, institutions set up after World War II have sort of run their course. Uh, with regard to uh, international policing and law enforcement, uh, Interpol, uh, which I was heavily involved for a number of years, uh, has never really been up to the, uh, to the task, has never been ceded the authority or the resources from the nation states that compose its membership to be able to get the job done effectively. And that remains a, a problem. We, we, we cannot uh, proceed without, as I say, providing authority, seeding authority, and providing resources to international organizations to accomplish this, an organization such as Interpol. But there is no appetite among the nation states to actually give up their authority or to put into the hands of a multilateral group, you know, with some exceptions like NATO and and other other, uh, international uh, multilateral organizations. But in law enforcement, uh, Interpol has pretty much been limited to red notices, arresting fugitives, uh, and that's been the essence of its work which doesn't even come close to the requirement of the kind of coordination internationally that you're, you're uh, proposing.
0: This seems like a pretty gloomy picture. You say the chances of creating an international relationship are not great. We both know what the political situation is here and the, the unlikely um, prospects for passing legislation that might knock down stovepipes. What are we facing here?
1: Well, so I've never, I've never found pessimism to be a useful tool.
0: But sometimes it's inevitable.
1: Sometimes a realistic assessment requires you to uh, understand that uh, it's a long and windy path. Uh, but inevitably, Gene, and crisis uh, presents itself, and there are reactions to that crisis. We saw that in the aftermath of 9-11 in which the national security uh, uh, and intelligence infrastructure was thoroughly uh, revised to take into account terrorism. The difficulty with organized crime, with transnational organized crime is that the vulnerability is an an erosion that's taking place doesn't happen overnight in one attack. This is the point of 100,000 fentanyl deaths in the United States versus 3,000 casualties in on 9-11. And yet the event, the shock, the trauma of that single event was able to mobilize the political power and will uh, to make the changes that were deemed necessary. This slow seeping erosion doesn't lead to the same political effect.
0: And so the crime continues.
1: And so we continue to face the, uh, the threats that, uh, that are mounting uh, and will continue to mount until we come to a new set of arrangements, both in terms of intelligence gathering and data sharing, but also enforcement mechanisms that w- would take into account the threat that I perceive in transnational organized
0: crime. Is technology a potentially important tool for managing this situation,
1: there's no question about that, Gene. In fact, uh, big data and the uh, new tools that uh, have been developed in information technology to manage it are really represent, I think, a game changer. So, traditionally, we uh, we we've seen that the uh, there are two basic problems as uh, we try to confront the fact that uh, data has really become. Uh, almost a fourth factor of uh, production. We had labor capital organization, and now in fact, uh, given the exponential increase in the number of devices and the use by people around the globe, data has become of of, uh, paramount importance. Uh, The problems the uh, IC and law enforcement communities uh, in the intelligence field have faced is that, uh, uh, how do we share that data? what are the terms and conditions uh, under which we do it? We were all taught as children that uh, information is power. And the lesson that uh, we derived from that, or at least I did from early on, was that uh, when you have information, don't, uh, don't share it, but rather hoard it, and uh, only give it up if you get something in return. And, and that's been the paradigm that has governed uh, the way in which agencies in the US government and elsewhere have uh, have approached the issue of information sharing during the war on terror we saw a paradigm change the movement to federated uh, searches this idea that uh, agencies could maintain their own uh, databases uh, and that there would be specific tailored approaches to asking for data so that uh you wouldn't uh, give the other party or the other agency the data, but you would let them access your database to identify high-risk people and high-risk cargo. Uh, and that actually was a, 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 a represented a huge advance in terms of intelligence. So, for example, uh, whenever someone gets on a plane in Europe or elsewhere to come to the United States, uh, his or her uh, advanced passenger information, or APIS, uh, is actually uh, pinged against numerous databases in the U.S. government uh, and in certain limited uh, uh, circumstances uh, elsewhere. And you check against those databases to see whether or not this person is on a watch list uh, or is uh, otherwise presents a threat to the uh, to the United States.
0: So give me an example, if you would, of how this might work in combating the TCOs.
1: Uh, we've just started, maybe five years ago, incorporating TCOs into the, into the uh, equation. That is to say, the Terrorist Screening Center, That uh, it's a combination of uh, DHS, the CIA, uh, DOJ, and the FBI. Uh, screen all travelers and and in in other contexts, cargo coming into the United States, but mostly uh, focused on passengers. So so you get a passenger coming in uh, and you screen against all these databases. Those databases almost exclusively were dedicated to countering terrorism until recently. And we start incorporating into the watch lists uh, key figures in transnational organized crime still at a preliminary stage. But that's been the trend that actually permits us to not only identify terrorists as high risks, but also to uh, keep uh, uh, members of cartels at various levels in the organization from coming into the United States.
0: There's been a lot of discussion about open source intelligence. Is that being used um, and being used sufficiently to try and battle this problem?
1: Yes, but again, this goes back to one of the problems that uh, contemporary techniques, I think, will help us overcome, which is traditionally we've done that through link analysis, right? So you get a name and you 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 ping it against your database and you see connections uh, that have been had. But this is very difficult in terms of the mass of data that's available today and also... Because it's human controlled, as opposed to being dealt with by machine learning and artificial intelligence, it's it's not very effective in real time so that you don't get the results back in the real time we need it to stop people from coming into the United States or to identify uh, uh, them in other contexts.
0: Do U.S. government agencies actually have um, the technology that they need to effectively use AI and machine learning? So
1: preliminarily and in, in a nascent stage, yes, I mean, the IC actually, uh, going back to the old models, was really on the forefront in the digital and an uh, and internet age of being able to uh, connect uh, the dots, so to speak. And particularly after 9/11, that, as we saw, yeah. you know in our earlier uh, discussion, that led to, uh, Getting breaking the barrier between the CIA and the FBI so that uh, data in law enforcement based uh, uh, databases became available to the IC databases, but it was focused on terrorism. That still hasn't been applied uh, broadly to transnational criminal figures, and that remains a problem. But what we're seeing in terms of artificial intelligence and, and uh, data analytics is the ability actually in real time to deal with massive amounts of data and to do it in a way that actually would facilitate information sharing. So remember the problem of hoarding uh, data because you don't wanna give it up unless you get something in exchange. Well, in the techniques that exist today and the movement from federated uh, federated searching to federated learning and machine learning, uh, we actually have a way out of the uh, dilemma of information sharing. So the problems that we've seen uh, involve sovereignty concerns, uh, proprietary concerns, privacy concerns. Uh, governments don't want to share uh, information with other governments. The private sector doesn't want to share uh, data with the government, and the government doesn't want to share data with the private sector. And individuals uh, in the private sector, companies in the private sector, don't want to share data with their competitors. so that it, and, and then that's rounded off by privacy concerns. Individuals don't want to share data with either the public sector or the private sector because of privacy concerns. But the new techniques that are available in federated learning, artificial intelligence and machine learning actually give us a way out of that. Basically, what federated learning is, is that unlike federated searches where the inquiry goes out to databases and then responses come back, because of the uh, development of cloud computing and what's referred to as hub and spoke technology, uh, people, companies, and governments can share information or share the signal that comes from their information in a masked and anonymous way that can take place without actually sharing the data and commingling the data. And that offers the opportunity, actually, to start sharing signal that's done with amazing computing power on all ends, and start to derive useful and actionable information from this data in ways that respect and protect the sovereignty, proprietary, and privacy concerns that have been the big bugaboo, frankly, in terms of preventing information sharing in the past.
0: Frankly, can we solve the problem without technology?
1: Given the, uh, the importance of data and the value of data in the contemporary world, I think not. Uh, and the need to do it in real time, instantaneous uh, uh, checking of massive amounts of data require these new techniques. What we're seeing, though, is the uh, adaptation to the cultural change of information sharing rather than information hoarding. And that's going to take some time. There's inevitably a lag time between a development and its implementation, but it's coming. And uh, more and more, we're going to see the, uh, the value and the utility of uh, hub and spoke technology, shared signal uh, without commingling data. The second major change that the challenge to this has been uh, this notion that we have to recognize in managing border security and the border generally for both trade and travel, that 97 to 98% of, of this traffic is perfectly legitimate. So the challenge to enforcement agencies is how do we actually balance security with trade facilitation? If we stopped every tractor trailer at the US-Mexican border, uh, commerce would grind to a halt, as we saw in the immediate aftermath of 9-11 when the borders were shut down, the lines stretched back uh, north into Canada and south into Mexico for 10 miles or more. Uh, so the, the, the issue here is how do we actually get our cake and eat it too? And again, these, this, these new technologies uh, permit us to use our enforcement resources in a much more efficient way to identify uh, needles in the haystack and to uh, ferret uh, out those high risks and then deal with them in a law enforcement way. But it even goes beyond that, I think, Gene, in the sense that what we saw in the pandemic and now with the reemergence of great power rivalry highlighted by Russian aggression in Ukraine and China's pivot away from the West and vice versa, we're seeing that not only do we have to be concerned with just needles and haystacks, but for public health reasons and for security reasons, we actually have to look at every piece of straw in the haystack. And you can't do that without the kind of technology that artificial intelligence and machine learning make possible uh, in a a way that uh, is is just becoming uh, obvious. We can now use data uh, to identify risk and to actually create trusted networks of travelers and cargo and shippers and the like, expedite the movement through the borderline of trusted trade and travel while devoting our enforcement resources to those high risk persons or cargoes or to persons or cargoes about which we lack sufficient data to make a judgment about the degree of risk they present. So this is, a, uh, this is a game changer. And I think uh, we're gonna see the benefits of it. Uh, recognizing, however, that other governments, transnational criminal organizations uh, also have access to, uh, to uh, technology, but what they don't have access to that the IC and law enforcement communities does is the data. The data is the, uh, is the, uh, is the grail here and the ability to manage it will bring uh, great benefits. And few governments, although more and more developing the capacity, TCOs don't have access to the data and uh, won't be able to capitalize on it in the way that uh, the US government will.
0: That was Alan Burson. He is now a senior fellow at the Belfer Center at Harvard's Kennedy School, a global fellow at the Wilson Center, and a senior advisor to the Covington and Burling Law Firm. He was formerly the DHS Border Czar and served as head of Customs and Border Protection. Burson says one way to crack down on illicit border activity would be to repurpose a technique used to crack down on terrorists after 9-11. Follow the money. But he says the vast sums involved here have, to use his word, contaminated the financial system. And as a result, there has been very little progress in doing so. Next week on Spy Talk, we will continue our conversation with Alan Burson and talk about human smuggling and trafficking and how intelligence might be leveraged against that problem. Remember to subscribe to SpyTalk on Substack to get a wealth of original reporting on all things intelligence. And follow us on Twitter. Jeff Stein, my co-host, still on medical leave, is at SpyTalker. I'm at Gene Meserve. Thanks so much for joining us and have a terrific week. For more original reporting and insights like this, subscribe to SpyTalk.co on Substack and follow us on Twitter at talk underscore spy. If you enjoyed our podcast, subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.